Hi, again, my name is Nathan Liu. Uh, I'm also giving the scripture reading. Uh, so today's scripture reading is from Psalm 25. It's the whole chapter. So if you turn to your Bibles or your phones, or I think it should be available on the screen, uh, you can follow along there. Again, it's Psalm 25, the whole chapter. Psalm 25 of David. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exult over me. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. They shall be ashamed who, uh, they shall be ashamed who are wantingly treacherous. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. Remem remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been from of old. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs, uh, instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. Who is the man who fears the Lord? Him, uh, him will he instruct in the way that he should choose. His soul shall abide in well-being, and his offspring shall inherit the land. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him, and, makes, uh, and he makes known to them his covenant. My eyes are ever towards the Lord, for he will pluck my feet out of the net. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring, uh, bring me out of my distress. Consider my affliction and my trouble and forgive all my sins. Consider how many are my foes, and with what violent hatred they hate me. O oh, guard my soul and deliver me. Let me not be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. May integrity and uprightness per, uh, uh, preserve me, and for I, uh, for I wait for you. Redeem Israel, O oh God, out of all his troubles. May God bless the reading of his word. All right. Thank you, Nathan. I know it's a, it's a tough poem from the book of Psalms, especially in this translation. So thank you for that. And uh, good morning again. Uh, welcome to all of you who are joining us here in person and those of us watching from wherever you are watching. And uh, like Nathan mentioned, uh, we're pretty uh, small today because we have a retreat going on. So there's like 20 people um, out at a retreat center. They're having their own uh, retreat at this time. And so um, they're, they're not able to watch it now, but hopefully they'll be able to watch this another time. And, but they're actually going to go through this same topic that we're going to be discussing um, and I'll be sharing for us here today. So uh, for this week, um, I am finishing off a series that we started um, a few weeks back. Um, Pastor Jeff, last week, he um, started our new series through the book of Genesis that we'll be going through. Um, but uh, because of scheduling, we had to kind of move this uh, last message to this week. And uh, it's a 
pleasure for me to uh, speak on this topic because it's something that uh, is something I dealt with in my life and I think is uh, relevant to many of us, and that's the idea of guilt and shame. And so we've been going over uh, this series called Heart Check, where we go over the, the bad habits that, we've been, that we have in our hearts that hinder us from living out the calling that we have as followers of Christ. So we dealt with pride, and we dealt with work, we dealt with lust, and, and a bunch of other topics as well. And so uh, today, again, is our, our topic is guilt and shame. And many of us who are Asians, um, I know not everyone is Asian, but many of us who are Asian, I think we especially feel this, it is part of our culture, um, uh, and we wrestle with this uh, because of our backgrounds, and so we'll, we'll go into that more a little bit here today. But before that, let's just pray and ask the Lord to bless us and lead us here by His Word and Spirit. So please bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, we ask for you to speak to us here today. Lord, may you uh, reveal your, your grace, may you re reveal your truth, and Lord God, we ask that... Lord, you would help us to see um, the things that we are guilty of in our lives, but the ways in which we can respond to them well in light of the, the gospel, in light of Christ. So God, help us to work through that here individually and as a church this morning, and may your spirit speak to us, O oh Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So I wanted to start with a um, story from this guy named Sam Louie. Uh, he actually spells his last name L-O-U-I-E. It sounds American, but he's actually a Chinese guy. Um, and he is uh, an Asian American who shares a story that he experienced, where he experienced a lot of shame in his life. So let me just uh, read this kind of short um, clip for us. So he says, uh, My wife and I looked so good together. We shared the same sense of humor. We came from families that each valued marriage and togetherness, we were also both Christians. But my addiction to pornography and infidelity led to our divorce. One night while I was caught in my porn-fueled trance, my wife saw the images I was staring at on my computer and shrieked with disgust. My body shook and, I, and as I felt ashamed or exposed, helpless, alone, afraid, and ashamed. The feelings of loss, abandonment, and shame associated with my divorce were excruciating. Nothing was more important to me than maintaining an image of perfection in the Asian Christian community. Not my career, not my family, not my relationship with God. Nothing was more important than my desire to uphold the Asian honor of a good marriage. So... As an Asian American, Sam felt a greater sense of shame than maybe most people might feel in this situation. Especially divorce in an Asian context is considered to be very unusual. It is rare. And actually, when it does happen, it becomes front page news everywhere. Right? People hear about it. The gossip is pretty rampant in those situations. And that's not good in, in any way. And although uh, shame is not completely bad, but to shame others in this way, it is really, really unhealthy. And for us to feel it in this way, to experience shame, is very, very unhealthy as well. And I think this idea of shame is very relevant to many of us, like I've said. It is also important to note that shame is very closely tied with guilt. 
And so we're going to get into that. Um, but before we get into the effects of guilt and shame and how we can eventually overcome them, let's start with how this all started, how this all came to be. So here in this Psalm of David, David is praying this uh, prayer. It's a, it's a beautiful poetic prayer. Um, it is, uh, in the Hebrew, it is an acrostic poem, meaning that each line begins with a new letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And he tells us about uh, his present circumstances in his life. He is facing loneliness and isolation, and he's cut off from others. And we're not exactly sure what's going on in, in the situation, but we know that David went through these uh, periods in his life where he was being chased, he was uh, being, uh, people were trying to kill him and things like that. But we, we know that whatever the situation is, he is in distress and he is deeply afflicted. And the troubles in his heart are growing and that's, this includes the trouble of his own sin, because in verse 18, uh, it says, forgive all my sins, all right? So we're not exactly sure what the circumstances are, but, the, but he feels great shame and is crying out to God. And so the psalm is structured in a way where it begins and ends with shame. So from our passage, we see that guilt and shame are actually very closely linked with sin, David cries out to God in different points, and in verses 7 and 8, he is, it is evident how guilt and shame is rooted in sinning against God. In verses 7 and 8, he says this, Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions according to your steadfast love. Remember me for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in the way. David asks God to forgive him of his past sins, that, he would, that God would instruct him in the path of righteousness. This is what David cries out for God to do, to lead him in righteousness, to lead him in love and faithfulness to him. So again, guilt and shame are deeply connected with our sin. And it's because guilt and shame started at the fall, where Adam and Eve ate of the forbidden fruit of the uh, tree of knowledge of good and evil, and this guilt and shame that they had carries down to the rest of humanity. And so all of us, we carry sin in us, and we are now not only guilty of our own sin, but we bear the weight of the shame of that as well. So the next question is, what is the difference between guilt and shame? Uh, Dan DeWitt is a professor of theology. He says this about the, the difference between them. He says, uh, Though guilt and shame are twins born in the garden, only moments apart, they aren't identical. Guilt is usually tied to an event. I did something bad. Shame is tied to a person. I am bad. Guilt is the wound. Shame is the scar. Guilt is isolated to the individual shame is contagious. So in other words, guilt is the objective fault or blame that you experience because of what you've done wrong. And while shame is the emotional toll that you bear because of guilt. So shame is a painful emotion. It's a natural byproduct of guilt, but shame definitely has a more social or communal aspect to it. So what I mean by that is that we feel shame more so 
uh, when we fall short of some sort of social standard that has been set. So in the beginning at the fall, it was the standard set by God. God had set this moral standard, and we fell short of that standard, and we felt guilt and shame as a result. Um, but in some ways, shame actually isn't all bad. Sometimes shame is necessary in order for someone to admit their guilt or for the guilty to be exposed of what they've done wrong. Um, Sometimes there are those who are shamed who don't realize that they're guilty. But sometimes shaming can be positive when those who are guilty are doing horrible things when they need to be exposed. So in a, in a fallen world, shame has a good and redemptive quality in our society where human beings are able to act appropriately because there is a social standard. We have a social um, responsibility to act a certain way. So the possibility of being shaved, shamed is very heavy if we act inappropriately. And we get shamed when we fail to meet that social or moral standard. I'm not saying that it's always good to be shaming others, but there are times when it is appropriate, right? Um, again, in most situations, it's awful when we shame others for whatever it is. It can be really damaging to the individual. Uh, but unfortunately, in our fallen world, it can be a necessity. For example, um, for a long time, it was considered acceptable for basically men to treat women like they're nothing, right? It was acceptable for men to exploit women, to, to think of them as less than, to abuse them. And if you look at, even looking at the 1960s, which is not that long ago, and it was probably even within the last 30 or 40 years, which is very recent, where it became shameful to treat women in those horrible ways. And especially more recently, we see the rise of the Me Too movement, and that became a very public shaming of prominent, a lot of prominent men who had abused their authority, power, influence to sexually exploit women. And it has highlighted the abuses that women face daily. And it has changed how men should treat women. It hasn't totally changed how men actually treat women, but it has changed how men should treat women. And it discourages the type of predatory behavior that has been commonplace, that has been acceptable in our society. Now, that doesn't mean we agree with everything the Me Too movement stands for and things like that, but we see that the movement has led to a public shaming of individuals who were untouchable before, who were considered people we could never, never expose. But now we have the platform to do so, and in that sense, it has been a good function in our society to shame certain people because of their actions. So there is a place for it when it is necessary. And it can be used for a good societal function. And because of our fallen world, this is how we have to function at times. It is a means of, that God has given us to restrain evil to a degree. And there is a redemptive quality that God uses in it, like he does in everything in our world. But the shame that David feels in Psalm 25 is... Um, one where he feels so worried about how the Lord will respond, um, how, he, how the Lord will respond to his cry for help. 
And he's crying out to God because he has nothing left in this situation. We, we know that he is turning to God. This is his last resort. And unless God shows up in a big way, David knows that he will be put to shame. He needs God to clear his blame and to save him from his enemies. And he knows that without God, he will truly be put to shame. And that feeling that he has, uh, it will be justified. And his enemies will destroy him unless God shows up. And you can tell he is so filled with shame that he has nowhere else to turn but to God himself. And oftentimes this is exactly how we feel, where we are so filled with shame that we have nowhere to turn. David here fortunately turns to God, but that's not easy to do. And oftentimes our shame can overwhelm us and it can rob us of our identity. And that is why it's so hard for us to turn to God. We, we hide, we, we dwell in our sin, we dwell in our shame, and it overwhelms us and it can cripple us. And especially for many of us in an Asian context, we feel that even more so. Our identity is consumed by our guilt and shame a lot of the time. For, for those of us in this context, we have a fear of shame where the worst thing we could do is to bring shame upon our family or our community, right? So the, the point of our existence a lot of times in our upbringing is to uphold the honor of our family, to not bring shame upon them. That's all we need to do. So we, we try to do the right things and not sin, and, not, and that's not out of obedience to God, but it is because we don't want to bring shame upon our families. It's because in our Asian culture, the collective identity is valued, and it is um, something that is very, very important, even more than our individual uh, value. And, and what I do in my life, my individual life, it affects the life of my whole family. If I act in a shameful manner where I do not uphold the expected social or moral standards of my family or community, then it brings dishonor to my family, not just upon me, but to my family. So if we commit a sin, it doesn't just bring shame upon me, just like it did for Sam Louis. It brought shame upon his, his family and and the whole community was, against, in his mind, against him. Now, of course, I think in every cultural context, we have this sense of shame as well. But in an Asian context specifically, it is magnified because our actions greatly affect the honor of our communities and our families. It's also the reason why many people feel like they need to act differently, uh, and, and they can't be their true selves. They have to save face because they need to present this image of themselves that, they are, that, that is expected of them, that they're expected to have it all put together, that they're expected to be living these great lives and so that your families can, cannot worry about you, right? And unfortunately, that's what motivates a lot of us, right, to, to do these good deeds or to get into the best schools, to become successful in our lives, to become doctors or lawyers, 
That is our main motivation, to, to not bring shame upon my family so that my parents will not say that I have done something bad, right? And it's not to honor and glorify God in many of those situations if we are being honest. It's not to be good stewards of the lives that God has given us, to do our best in whatever we're called to do. No, it's so that we live up to the standards that my community has set forth, seeking to honor my parents and my family to, to do good, right? And obviously honoring our parents and our families, they're, you know, that's important, that's biblical. It is a commandment. But when it consumes our identity, when it becomes everything about who we are, the reason we live, then it becomes an idol. It becomes something that is sinful. And again, it unfortunately consumes who we are to the point where it doesn't even have to be bad or sinful things that make us feel ashamed. To give an example, I remember I had an, uh, a friend who was Asian uh, my senior year in high school. And, um, and he just didn't show up to school for a whole week. And we were like very concerned about this friend. And we had heard from another friend that the reason why this person didn't come to school was that they felt like they couldn't show their face at school or face anybody because they had recently found out that they did not get into an Ivy League school. This person was so ashamed. They got rejected by every one of those, and they applied to every single one of them. And felt so ashamed, she couldn't show their face at school, and it became such an idol for this person. All of us were, were shocked that this person felt this way, that they were so ashamed that they weren't getting into an Ivy League school because it was expected of her. It was expected of, of her to, to, to do well and to succeed, and, and we thought she would go to an Ivy League school, but it didn't happen. And because of that, she felt so much shame she couldn't show her face, and it just overwhelmed her. And this is not something this person did anything wrong. Not getting into an Ivy League school is not wrong. How can we ever say that? That is wrong. But still, the power of shame can overwhelm us, even when we don't do anything wrong. It can rob us of our identity. But David here in our passage shows us that we can truly turn to God, that our guilt and shame may consume us because we're not with God, but when we are with God, we know that God can relieve us of this guilt and shame. And the reason why our guilt and shame consume us is because we do deserve it to some degree. We deserve to, to have this guilt and shame upon us because we have sinned against him. We are sinners who have not met up to the standard that he has set for us. But, we'll, but we believe in a God who created us in love, who did not allow us to stay in our sin, but began the process of redemption, even with Adam, and ultimately uh, fully redeemed us through Christ. And even with Adam and Eve, they did not stay in shame. God clothes them in righteousness. He clothes them with, with, uh, with uh, animal skins. And, and you can tell right away, even after the fall, he shows his love and grace to them despite their sin. 
That is who our God is. He doesn't let us stay in our sin, stay in our guilt and shame, but he clothes us with his righteousness, with his love. And he began that process of redemption even right after the fall. And we see this in our passage in in verse 14, that God is a God who is our friend. It says, the friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him. So when we honor God, worship God, fear him properly, we actually experience his love, his grace, his mercy, and we know that he is our friend. He is a God who loves us, who does not allow us to stay in this horrible place that we are. He is our friend, and that is perfectly displayed through what Jesus Christ has done for us. And this is, what Christ, this is why Christ came. He has shown us love and grace and removed our guilt and shame by his death on the cross. And he, he has clothed, clothed us with his righteousness that is perfect, where we no longer have to make animal sacrifices. We no longer have to continue to repent um, in, in those public ways. But we, all we have to do is confess our sins and ask God for forgiveness, and he will forgive us. And that frees us from our own guilt and our own shame by his work, by the work of the cross. And Christ takes our guilt. He takes our shame. He lays it on himself. And we are now blameless before God because Christ has taken our place. He has atoned for our sins. And now we are blameless before him. So because Jesus takes it upon himself, we do not have to live with the weight of guilt and shame upon us anymore. The message of Christ's redemptive work brings hope, forgiveness, and healing to our guilt and shame. Romans 8, 1 to 3 says this. It says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. Brothers and sisters, we are no longer condemned by our sin, guilt, and shame. But we are set free from it. And it is in Christ where our national identity, ethnic identity, personal identity, whatever we center our identity on, it becomes nothing compared to our identity in Christ. Christ has forgiven us. He has shown mercy upon us. And his work on the cross has the power to break the bonds of our shame. We no longer have to be bound by our shame because he is not ashamed to be our God. So we don't have to live in hiding, trying to live up to these expectations that have been artificially set up for us. We don't have to live in fear of dishonoring our families or having to save faith to put on this facade or mask, we are free from that in Christ. I know this concept is not easy. It's not easy to make true in our hearts. 
It is, it is very hard because we have been living a certain way for so long. It has been ingrained in us, and it's part of our upbringing and our culture. And I'm not saying that it's necessarily bad living uh, uh, the, the way we br- were brought up. Uh, it brings a lot of good values in us, and it um, brings us the value of family and caring for our families and, and actually looking out for one another in that way. But when it is elevated to the point where if I dishonor my family, my life is ruined, if that is our mindset, that's the shame that we feel, then, then that is where sin has taken over, and that is where it has become an idol for us. But we can be free from that, to go against that, and to be transformed by the gospel and how the gospel changes our culture, changes how we think about our lives, how we are to interact with our families, how, are we, how we are to live our daily lives. That's what the gospel does. That's what Christ does. It changes everything. It transforms everything. And most importantly, it transforms our hearts. That is what God has the power to do through Christ, to change our hearts, to change how we feel and respond to these things. So let us take time to examine our hearts, to see the ways in which guilt and shame have robbed us of our identity. Perhaps we're scared of shaming our families, of looking weak or bad in front of our coworkers and friends, and ask the Lord to remind us that in Christ we are truly, truly free because he saves us from our sin and breaks the power of guilt and shame in our lives. Let's also rely on our communities. Let's rely on our church community to help us to break out of being consumed by guilt and shame and to show empathy to one another. That is so important when we deal with shame to to truly show empathy to one another And treat each other in a way where we are not shaming one another, where we are not judging one another. Unfortunately, the church can be a source of shame, like it felt for Sam Louis, where he was so ashamed to be around his Christian community because he felt like he was going to be judged by them. Now, we don't know if that's necessarily true of that church community, but what we can do is we can make sure that we do not treat each other in these shameful ways to... And actually, we encourage one another to live with confidence and boldness and to be true to themselves, to be real with themselves, and we lovingly walk with them in their walk with Christ. That is what we are called to do as the church. No matter what uh, we experience, no matter what goes on in our lives, whatever rejection or exposure we may experience, We know that God has prepared a place for us. He has given us the church. He has given us Christ. And he is not ashamed to call us his own. Again, I know that um, changing these feelings, these thoughts, they don't happen overnight. Many of us will still act out of our shame or fear of shame in many ways, even when we've done nothing wrong. In our work, we may try to be perfect so that we're not ashamed of letting our coworkers down, of being the, the bad worker and everyone's just pointing their fingers at, at you because you're that guy 
who's just letting everyone down, letting the company down, right? We'll still try to appease our parents in many ways. We're going to try to honor them maybe in unhealthy ways at times, trying to appease every single thing that they want, even though that is not healthy for us or that is not what we want in our lives. Uh, We'll still try to appear as if everything is good, where nothing is wrong with our lives, where everything, um, where friends don't have to worry about us. But the more we are assured of the freedom from guilt and shame we have in Christ, the more the Spirit will change those ways of thinking, will change how we feel, and He will do that sanctifying work in us when we trust in Him, when we turn to Him like David does in our psalm today. And may the Spirit lead us to live in such a way where we are assured of God's love for us, that we are no longer bound by our guilt and shame. May the Spirit work in us here today. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that, Lord, we are able to see in your word that we no longer have to be bound by our guilt and shame. Lord God, we know that guilt and shame is a result of our sin and the fall, and it is a natural byproduct of the world that we live in. But Lord God, so for so many of us, it consumes us to avoid shame to be, because we're afraid of it. We don't want to um, bring shame upon ourselves and upon our loved ones and our families and our friends and our communities. And so, Lord, a lot of times our motivations are solely based on not bringing shame upon those around us. So God, help us to break free from that wrong identity, Lord, where it has become an idol, an evil idol in our hearts. And Lord, change us, sanctify us, that we can be free from that, and that we can live for you, not to avoid shame, but to live, to honor you, to glorify you, to do your work here in our lives. Because, Lord, you look at the heart. That is what you have told us in your word, that you look at our hearts. So, God, transform our hearts. May not just be an outward change that we have, but may truly be an inward change in our hearts. May your spirit move in us so that we are no longer crippled by guilt and shame, especially shame, but now that we can be free from it and live for you and live in confidence and boldness. And, and Lord, we know that living in that freedom is so much better, so glorious, so beautiful. Help us to see that. Help us to experience that, oh Lord. Lord, we lift up Cornerstone to you, that you would do this uh, work in us, that you would transform us and help us. And God, may we bring our burdens to you, lift our shame off of us, and be freed by the truth of the gospel. Thank you, O Lord, for this time. Thank you, O Lord, for your presence in this place. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.